Welcome to Adventures in Business. This is a show where we have thought-provoking conversations with founders, CEOs, and business leaders of various industries to learn about their stumps, falls, trials, tribulations, and successes on how they manage the current business environment. Join our hosts, Mandy Graziano and Amani Roberts, as we chat with our next guest. Happy April 24th. Welcome back to Adventures in Business. Mandy, what is going on today? Oh, for goodness sakes, Amani. <laughs> I slept awful last night. I haven't, I'm a great sleeper. I get eight hours of sleep every night. That's like my thing I have to do. Otherwise, I can't function. And last night, I slept the worst night of rest I've ever had, I think, in my life. I no. I woke up suddenly to my dog barking at something up front, and my heart was just pounding. Then I couldn't fall asleep for another hour and a half, and then I fell asleep. I had an awful dream, woke back up to my heart pounding. I was, like, being chased by Russians. There was a lot of coding. <laughs> there was codes involved. I had the secret codes. Jesus. Then I fell back asleep, and then I woke back up to my heart pounding. It was just, like, one nightmare after the other. And then I woke up. I'm like, oh, now now I have to start my day. Yeah. So if you see, I've got some baggies, little baggies <laughs> under my eyes. Okay. But this is real. This is the real, real. deal. And yeah. that's what's going on. What about you? How'd you sleep yeah. last night, Imani? It's funny you say that. Last night I slept well, but I think it was Monday oh. or Tuesday night. You know, I was playing around the internet before I went to bed and I saw something that messed my mind up so that caused me to lose sleep too but um the last few nights have been better so i slept better but i can understand how lack of sleep or just you see things you have bad dreams so let's hope for you tonight will be a much more peaceful night of sleep thank you i i will take all those hopes and dreams i appreciate that you are welcome now for today tell us a little bit about our guest today and then we can bring him on from the green room who are we talking to today Ooh, we got a guy who's got a lot of interesting talents. We have TJ Boyd. He is a dad. He has a podcast on fatherhood. He okay. is a writer. He is an author. He is a real estate person. And um, he's I, I think we're only scratching the surface on all of his talents. So I think we should bring him up so we can start asking him about all of it. All right, TJ Voigt, welcome in. We'll give you a round of applause. Put your place there. Welcome in. Welcome to uh, Adventures in Business. Uh, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm, I'm always uh, appalled when I get a round of applause on the way in. I never know what to do with it. Just accept it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah, don't, it. Don't mess it up. Don't mess up, TJ. Hey, there you go. That's the pressure, right? That's the pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when Mandy introduced you, what did she miss? What did she leave out in terms of everything involved with TJ Boyd? Man, you know, my wife asked the same question. Like, well, what, what, is, what is all this? But I, <laughs> I think it all falls under the same umbrella of service, right? Um, mm. And everything that I do has a backstory to it. But I think she covered it all. You know, fatherhood po um, podcast that we has been on hiatus for a little while. Uh, we had some technical difficulties that were getting smoothed out um real estate i do as well that's kind of like my quote unquote nine to five um mm -hmm. and and i'm a writer and an author right okay so that's those are the three things that i've narrowed it <laughs> down to um right. from from this wide range of, of things that i do now working in real estate mm -hmm. i'm a for real estate agent back on the east coast so i have a little bit of knowledge i grew up in real estate but both my parents sold it what do you do residential, commercial lending? Like what's your role in real estate and how did you get involved first in the industry? Good question. I, I'm a, I do residential real estate um, for the time being. And the reason why I got involved is one of my mentors, um, he's big into real estate on the investment side. Mm. And I've seen this guy go from, so I knew his son um, prior to him and his son's uh, mother getting married. Right. Um, and so I met them when I was probably eight or nine and we talk still regularly, even now. And I'm 39 now. Um, but he was big on the investment side. And so I saw the benefits of it. I never wanted to be in the sales at all. Um, I was actually in education. I was a teacher coach and then I was a principal. 
Um, but my wife and I, to answer your question, my wife and I went to buy a home in 2016. We started the home search and it was just not good. <laughs> I mean, you see the homes on the internet, right? Cause we're searching Zillow. We figure we don't want, like most people think I'm not gonna get an agent cause that's gonna cost me money, which is right. not true by the way, as a buyer, you don't pay the agent. So don't worry about it. But, um, we were looking, 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 and we would show up to places and it'll smell like cats or, you know, the, the, the pictures were, were airbrushed to, to oblivion. Um, and so we finally decided on a new build and my wife, you know, we, 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 we sold the whole, Hey, you get such and such amount of money at the design center. Uh, you get $15,000. We're like, okay, cool. And then she went to the design center and, uh, that bought you like door handles. Ah. <laughs> the old $15,000 door handle. <laughs> because nobody in my family had ever owned a home in my immediate family. I didn't grow up in houses that my parents paid mortgage in. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea that when you buy a house, you literally just buy the house, not even not the blinds, not anything. Um, and so we, we, were, we were able to get out of that. And just by chance, you know, we showed up at a home that she liked because they had a pool. Um, and the real estate agent met us there. And after six months of searching with him, we found a house in two weeks and it just always kind of stuck with me that I'm like, man, if people only knew, uh, the power that they had and the, the, the ability that they, um, hold to just own land, own property and what that does for your life and the potential that that has. And that's one of the few guaranteed appreciating assets that you could possibly have in your portfolio. Um, then that will be. Uh, good for me. And then I, I, I became a head coach and I, it kind of went to the back burner. Uh, 2017 was a whirlwind. We had we bought a house, we got married and we had a baby. So I went. <laughs> just a couple changes, just a couple changes. <laughs> so I started January as a single uh, engaged, but single uh, fatherless do living in an apartment and by december 2017 i was a married father and a homeowner all and sorts of tax write-offs <laughs> in 2017. oh it was awesome it was awesome um <laughs> but but yeah so the stress of going through without much guidance and experience kind of pushed me to that and then when the pandemic hit i had time to study for it and go through the process and so that's how i landed there so it's been a it's been a lot to learn um i'm not necessarily a salesman by nature I'm more of a, a helper, <laughs> a nurturer, um, which helps me, right? Because there's a lot of people who don't know. Um, and so just kind of the you end up end up being like friends with your clients a lot of times because you're 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 with them and then they're part of their life for so long. And the process can be intrusive, you know, like it, you can't you definitely can't hide money <laughs> or mm -hmm. debt. So <laughs> they, everything is public knowledge at that point. So, yeah, that was a long winded way of saying I got in it just to kind of help people um, not be stressed out through the process. Well, I, I love this. You've dropped a lot of nuggets. So. <laughs> you did. You did. Okay, I, so will, I have a follow up just you and go, I'll let you go, go next because okay. you said something about how you know, this first time you've owned a home in your family. Yeah. And a lot of people in the public are kind of saying that buying a home isn't a good investment anymore. They're like, just rent, you'll save your money. Like that's a movement out there. I disagree. I've owned, you know, homes. I own my current home. It's not easy, but I feel it's one of the few, as you just said, guaranteed kind of um, appreciating assets. What is your thought on the movement where people are like, eh, don't buy a home, just rent and use your money for other things. What is your kind of response to that? And then you can go, man. Well, yeah, I had, that's yeah, a, I, a, like, I was, question. I was hung up on that one too. I got a couple on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my question to them, my follow-up question would be use your money for what? Because hmm. you're paying mortgage. You're just not paying yours. And if someone is renting you their home, it's going to be mortgage plus, right? Because they're not renting it just for the heck of it. Um, they're renting it because it is also uh, money uh, stream. It's a, it's a stream of income for them. Yes. And the the higher the rates are, quote unquote, think about living in an apartment, right? You can live in the exact same apartment when your lease is up. And when you go to the lease office, they probably raise your rent. And it's, it's the same concept because you have to keep up with inflation. You have to keep up with the interest rates, which, by the way, no one can predict. It's just... Right. 
it's one of those things that you just have to kind of stay afloat while you can. But I, I would say it depends on your situation. It's much like leasing a car. In Texas, it doesn't make sense to lease a car because you can drive an hour from Houston to Houston. So, <laughs> so, you may, so you, if you're on the road a lot, if you work from home, then okay. But if you're on the road a lot, you got to have a car that's yours. Um, and so if you if you're in a if you're in a a job that's mobile, you'll be moving a lot. Maybe rent. But if you're kind of established that you think you'll be there for a while, if you think you'll be there for, I would say, at least two to three years, then it's, 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 it would be wise to look into buying because at the end of the day, you can probably sell that house and make a profit or yes. refinance and pull cash out. Like there's so many options that you have as an owner that you just don't have as a tenant. Not to mention the human element of the owner of the house can just walk in one day and say, hey, y'all got to go. Yes. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Truth. Okay. Over to you, Manny. Thank you for allowing me to sneak that one in there. Oh, well, I know. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was, it, TJ makes it easy. You've got so many nuggets. Okay, I want to build on that question that Amani asked. Is like you said that you were the first person in your family to buy a home. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for you? Because I know in my family, I'm from Ohio. I'm one of four, but we have a huge family. And there was a lot of things that I was the first person to do in my family and that mm -hmm. meant a lot to me, but it also came with a, a little bit of a blessing and a burden. So I want to ask you, like, what does that mean to you? You're the first person to own a home mm -hmm. in your family. Like, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to your family? What does that mean to your kids? Like, what is what is that for you? So I often makes fun of my son because, um, I mean, making fun of people is a love language, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. so I make fun of him because I'm like, dude, you've never even eaten ramen noodles. Like your life is way too lavish. Okay. <laughs> but we've growing up, I moved 12 times in 10 years. Um, and it was, you know, you don't know as a kid, you don't know your struggles. It's just regular yeah. life. You think yeah. this is just how it is. Like, you know, parts of it sucks, but whatever. Um, but for me to own a home, it didn't really hit me until my mom came to visit and she actually saw kind of what me and where me and my wife lived, um, how we live, um, that we actually have a back patio mm -hmm. <laughs> and that we pay a mortgage. And it actually um, sparked her to want to, you know, move here and own a home. And my mom lives and works in Kuwait right now. She works for the military. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I was actually the first one out of my immediate family again to have a college degree as well. Mm -hmm. So my mom graduated from college after I did. Um, but that's been kind of my role in my family. I'm the baby, but I was always the one to look around and say, nah. This can't be it, right? I was, I've right. been the dreamer. Um, my entire life, um, I, I thought I was going to be in the NBA, but I've always been the one to, you know, I've been the creative one to write things and draw things. And, you know, I wanted to be a preacher when I was a kid. Okay. Because <laughs> right. well, I, I, guess, I, guess, I guess I just had dreams, right? I guess I've always had dreams. God just kind of put in me to, um, to, to touch people. I really care about people. And so to answer your question, um, owning a home for me just kind of sets up um, part of what I do. It's a, it's a legacy piece for me. Be um, And owning a home, you learn more about owning a home and you learn about families who keep a one, at least one owned home in their family. Yes. So that yes. you can have some sort of fallback, right? Like, hey, mm -hmm. you're out of college and all of a sudden you've been doing one thing for 20, for 17, 18 years, which is going to school. Um, because we know college is like the pseudo real world. It's not actually. That's right. It's practice. World. Practice how to do your laundry. Yeah. And then you walk across the stage after your graduation. And you're like, what now? And you have to enter the world. And and I think that this, at the very least, owning a home gives, you know, my son and in my family lineage, our family lineage, a, a hub to where they can at least have a a, a huddle ground to figure it out. Um, and for me, I have nieces and nephews that are graduating and that have graduated. Like my oldest niece, excuse me, is actually coming to stay with us during the summer um, and doing getting some internship hours. And had I not owned a home, that would have not even been possible. And um, she came here not too long ago, last summer, and it inspired her. Like she was struggling. 
with some with just life things, you know. And she was like, man, I see how Uncle TJ and my wife, uh, Auntina, lives. And she's been on herself ever since. Straight A student, just got a scholarship um, at school. And it's just, that means, it means more. The house means more. Uh, let me check that. It, the home, having a home mm, and knowing that you don't go. have to move out at the end of the year or have to, you know, we were poor enough to where we didn't even have suitcases. Like we just had trash bags and getting yeah. evicted and stuff like that is something that yeah. you never want to be a part of. So that's something I didn't want to pass on um, to my family. Luckily, I have my wife that was on board with it as well. So you're an inspiration. You're an inspiration. Okay. Now another nugget. I just want to switch gears to basketball because I know basketball is a big part of your life. We just had a while back. We had the final four in Houston, mm -hmm. final two and final four in Houston where you live and we're coming into the NBA playoffs. So can you just share your basketball history and then how are you feeling now with all of these things happening surrounding you and you're not playing basketball? Uh, so I'll answer it in reverse. The At the Ooh, end, I have man. no idea what to do with my time. Like for basketball, the reason why I don't play basketball regularly and I just started back actually is because my brain is the same. So my brain is like, murder this dude. Press him <laughs> full court, crush his will. My body is like, we ain't doing that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those two need to sync up a little bit before you get back on the court. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the <laughs> yeah. mind to muscle connection is just it's just not there. Um, but for me, I started playing basketball. My father actually introduced me to the game when I was seven. And living in Texas, man, not playing football is sacrilegious, hmm. you know. But I actually come from the time where you know, two a days was a thing. And if you ever been in Texas in August, you don't want to be outside. You definitely don't want to go outside twice. Um, so um, I just decided, you know, this is just not for me. And basketball, I took to it early. Um, I, I figured it out kind of early. And it's just something that I truly, truly, truly love. And honestly, um, basketball and being involved in basketball is probably responsible for about 85% of my relationships that I have now. Um, just That's because the world, the basketball world is very small, but the tick, the tentacles are extremely long because you, you meet 15 people a year on your team and those 15 people each have their own circle of friends and their, 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 their list of people that they know and being in it for 32 years, man, you'd be surprised. Who you, I'll give you a story. Um, there's a referee who ref, he ref the championship game actually. And every time I see him, I'm like, man, I know that dude. I promise he <laughs> wrecked our high school games. And come to find out, we, me and my wife and I, we, we took my son to the Final Four experience here in Houston. And he's walking by on the sidewalk as I'm walking by. And I'm like, that's him. I said, mm -hmm. I know him. So my wife was like, well, why didn't you say anything? I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it's been 21 years since I've been in high school. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. But him and I had a good relationship because I was kind of crazy on the court, right? My competitive nature is, I'm proud of it. I, I can't yeah. even sit here and lie to you and say it's something I'm not proud of because I'm extremely proud of it. Um, but it's why I'm not good at golf. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so it just so happens that I see him as we're walking into the actual arena. And I say, excuse me, man, are you from Temple? He says, I'm from Waco, which is Central Texas. We actually have the same area code. And He's like, man, it's funny because when you walk by, I told my wife, I know that kid. You know what I'm saying? And it's I've looked the same my whole life. So the uh, he we actually end up talking. And sure enough, he's Keith, the referee that used to ref my games back in high school. That was wow. now refing the national championship game. And so that's how small the world of basketball is. And that's what it's done for me. And and to extend it even further, becoming a coach is a different a whole different deal like becoming an assistant coach is one thing and then that one seat over to becoming a head coach is a whole different thing and so being able to experience basketball from all these angles actually is an inspiration for one of the books that i've in my brain i've written but i haven't written, <laughs> written it down yet which is like the fatherhood playbook um mm. because that's what helped me in my once i actually became a father being a coach helped me like not go nuts um, because being 
being a parent is just building a culture. You know, it's just building relationships. And um, it helped me have a relationship with my son where it's not um, authoritative in nature in that I'm just I don't have like rain over him. Um, just like your players, uh, just like a kid, you practice, 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 practice. And then you get on a, in a game and you're like, we didn't practice any of this. Like, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't recognize a single thing that's going on out here. Right. <laughs> and it's the same thing with your kids. Right. You teach them, teach them, teach them. And then uh, you go to a parent teacher conference. And you're like, really? Like this is this is this is news. I don't know. <laughs> this is not my this is not my kid. Yeah. So it, so that basketball has played that role for me. And now luckily, you know, my wife understands my crazy, so she lets me watch basketball and like talk to her about backdoor cuts and weird things that she don't care about. Uh <laughs> and how to how to like strategize against a one three one trap, whatever. Just real, real nerdy. Right, like how to guard. Shows, but anyways, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But she allows me to do it because she knows I got to get it off, man. If I don't, I'll go crazy. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. Um, I want to go back to something you said about how you wanted to be a preacher. Yeah. So, so, and let's let's paint this picture. If you're a preacher, <laughs> what's like your signature sermon? What would you talk about? What would the lesson man. be that you would? Ooh. That's a great question. I think we all should answer this question. That's a great question. So. You know what? I will give you my very first sermon. Because when I when my dad found out that I wanted to be a preacher, he was all in. Let me tell you. Like, <laughs> I'm talking about like you. All right. So you know how back in the day there was these big like eight by eleven Bibles with the thinnest sheets of paper that you would ever see in your entire life. But then my dad would go further and have like different versions of the Bible. And he wanted to read like the chapter in every version. And I'm like, bro, come on. Like, this is a lot. I'm seven. You know what I'm saying? Like, this I'm seven and I'm trying to play basketball and get That's out of it. the key. Man, I should have never told you this because now I don't even want to go to church, let alone be a preacher. This is crazy. But I, the first, he had me preach a sermon to the family, to my mom and him and my sister. And of course, my sister was just being a knucklehead because um, we're only 16 months apart. But she uh, it was God is what you ought to be. I still remember that. I have no idea why I remember that. But that was the name of the story. And it was from Exodus or something. I didn't I didn't really do the work to preach it. So I was just kind of winging it at the time, which I mean, some preachers probably do that anyway. But that's <laughs> but that would be it, man, honestly. But probably as I got as I get older. I think the message will probably my signature message now will probably be um you can show me better than you can tell me. Ooh. Okay, tell us more like what's the the three so, takeaways from that one? Any anybody can say anything, but the message is always in the movements, right? So if I can that you will get more people to fig try to figure out how you are the way you are than for you to tell them how they should be. So if you go into somebody's home and their house is an absolute mess, they know that. But if you walk in and say, Hey, your house is a mess. Let me show you how to clean it. They're going to say, you need to get out. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As opposed to you saying, Hey, why don't you come eat dinner at my place? And they see how your house functions. And then they ask questions and now they're bought in. It's just the ownership of information that you knew that you was going to give to them anyway. So you can show me better than you can tell me. That's strong. I love that. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. What about y'all? Okay, Mandy, you up first. <laughs> I mean, my sermon would be about my it's a sermon of sales. It is you have to remove the stigma of sales. We are in sales in every part of our life. A great salesperson is a listener and an educator. And the sooner we remove the stigma of sales and the quicker we become comfortable with it, the more personally and professionally we, we, we will be in all areas of our life. That that would be my sermon. That's good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. For me, hmm, my sermon, maybe just like, I think there's, it's a simple saying. I've had to learn a lot about it recently, the past kind of year or so. But when people show you who they are, believe them. 
My mom says that all the time. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes you get caught up and you want to say, oh, no, oh, no. Or you you, you ignore the red flags, as we say, in, mm-hmm. in this space. And you can't do that. And I think that that's just a lesson that needs to be continually shared because we forget it and we think we're exempt and we're not. Yeah. And I think that would be one of my main sermons right there. It's the potential. Mm-hmm. It's the potential vortex. Like you get caught up into tell us more about that (laughs) (laughs) you get caught up into how you think that y'all can be together or how you know what it is all right so i don't watch (laughs) i don't watch much television outside of like absolute trash right which is i mean you can watch you can watch the news and it's the same trash but anyway it is (laughs) my wife and i watch uh married at first sight and complain about it every week but we're like nine seasons in already so (laughs) They, they, we are invested, but the idea that people would get married just to be married, as opposed to find the skills to be a husband or a wife or find a husband or a wife is what you're talking about. So they sit down and they're with these people for eight weeks and they're trying to like weave through these bright red flags. They're like, well, if we can just, uh, then we can be together forever. Like, no, you can't. Like, if you just met this person, you don't even know this person, let alone. So you have to take everything for face value. You can't like reach for shreds of potential for what, you know what I'm saying? Cause then you end up wrapping your own, you lose yourself in their potential. And now you don't even know what you're presenting anymore. And that's just the vortex. If you just get sucked down into it to where you're just so lost in what could be that you're completely ignoring what is. Amen. And I give I give talk. I, I speak sometimes, man, and I tell what I used to tell my teachers because they would get so frustrated, like, well, they should know this. Like, well, yeah, maybe they should, but they don't. So what are we going to do about them not knowing? Because should which is one of my, again, being a pre being one to be a preacher. I have a bunch of these little sayings, right? So should is profanity. Doesn't matter. Should doesn't matter. Should doesn't matter. What should happen, what should be, what should have been done, what should have been said. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is what is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. should goes both ways, right? Should mm-hmm. what should be and what should have been, neither one of them even matters. You just have to deal with the process. And the, the process is dealing with what you see face value, which, you know, we try to be deep now because everybody's a motivational speaker on Twitter. (laughs) But the fact fact of the matter is you can only do as much as you can do and you can only do what you're doing right now. It's funny. My mom also, also always says, don't should on yourself. I could have should have what I don't should on yourself. Right. Your your mom's amazing. Yeah. My mom is amazing. We should have her on the show. Another saying that I love is hope is not a strategy. That's one that I think Colin Powell first said. Yes. I heard from him. And that is that is so so true. Hope is like, not a strategy. I like that. It's not a strategy. Like those, but the potential vortex, like you get caught up in it and you're just like, mm. Mm. I it's mean society. Society thinks that we should give people a chance while simultaneously judging you like nobody's business. Right. That's been the 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 give and take of social media. Everybody has a voice, but then you get ripped to shreds for using it. So right. <laughs> well, that's, another topic too. that's a whole nother topic there. <laughs> um I, I, like a principle. I want to go to the writing part because yes, you you kind of spoke into an existence already where you're gonna be a future author. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of writing now, both freelance and for like you know, a different companies. Mm-hmm. Where does your love for writing come and who are some of your favorite authors? Man, thanks. Uh, that's a great question. My love for writing actually comes from being a stock kid, which you probably can't tell now. Um, <laughs> but at one point in my life, I had no ability to express myself. But I've always been an empath. And so I feel things mm. very deeply, but I couldn't express them. And so I would just cry. Right. So I was a crybaby when I was a kid. Like I was a, I was that kid that if he if you if you yelled at him at the right time, I was definitely going to cry. Because right? um, I, I couldn't say, but that's not what happened. You know what I'm saying? And because and, as again, that helped my parenting. But as, as and so that that when I was a kid, I used to write I, it's journaling. I didn't even realize that's what I was doing. Um, and then that that transitioned into poetry I used to write. 
um, that transition into rapping, like books and books and books and books of, of, of raps. But all of this is the same thing of just being able to get my thoughts off. And I just I really love um, talking to people because I like hearing perspectives. Um, it forces me to stand on anything that I think I believe. Um, and that's just that's my passion for it. And it just once I had my son, my wife was telling me I should people used to tell me I should write books all the time. But I'm like, nobody wants to. What am I going to write about? You know, like self-help books can be, eh, you know, they probably could be 25 pages instead of 25 chapters. Most of them um, <laughs> but, you know, people belabor Truth. points, people belabor points for for word count. Truth. Um, <laughs> so the um, so when I had my son and I wrote my first book and I just saw the power of literacy and I, and I was an English teacher as well. Nice. And, yeah, I was an English teacher in high school and I used to read these books and I'm like. I ain't gonna lie to y'all. This book sucks. Like it sucks. <laughs> and I see, I see why you don't want to read it because I don't want to read it. So you know what? Let's not. And we <laughs> do something mm-hmm. else. And we, but we didn't, we did, we did not, excuse me, not read. We just didn't read that book. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when I saw we there was a brilliant, my 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 department head gave us a project towards the end of the year after the the uh the formal testing where the kids could pick from a list of books. And then they could pick like three projects or whatever. Man, some kids read whole trilogies. Mm. And these were kids who were like, oh, I hate reading. Right. Mm. So, right. So you just hate reading this. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And what that did though was that just sparked creativity for them to write. And I think writing is the the freest form of creativity that you could that you can possibly have, even beyond just speaking. Because sometimes when you speak, you kind of like try to either memorize something or go over here when you're writing, it's just coming out. And so when, when I, when I, when I kind of hold these little creative writing sessions, um, I tell people it's like a puzzle. Like you don't try to put the puzzle together with the pieces still in the box. You just dump the pieces out. That's right. Together. And then you build from there. And that's the, that's writing has done that for me. It's just free. And I love it. Um, It allows me to again while you're writing, it kind of chat, you challenge yourself a little bit. Um, and so it's just it just went from there. It's just gone from writing a couple things here and there, um, writing, you know, my first children's book that I thought this is cool and that'll be done. And then the second one and then the third one and then writing a chapter in another book. So, yeah. That's so I'm with, I'm with you because I when I write, I'm in a flow state. I'm in the I am in a total relaxed 100% flow state. So I love that you said writing is creativity because it only provokes more creativity. I am like 100% down with that. Can you tell us about the books that you have written? Tell us the names of the books. Tell us mm-hmm. what they're all about. Because, um, you know, Amani and I have each written one book, but you've written more than one book and you've got more in your brain. So tell us about no. those. We, we, well, we're nerdy authors here in one yes. room just chatting about it. writing. I love it. Know? I love it. Yeah. The, the first book is, uh, so all of the books so far, uh, the main character has been Bradley. And Bradley is my actual son. Um, and his name, names mean a lot. Right. And so he was going to have my name regardless. Um, and had it been up to me, I'd name him something stupid like Roscoe, but <laughs> the, uh, Bradley is my, my wife's father's first name. And so the family name sticks. And so Bradley, uh, the first book is Bradley, um, knows everything. And it came when he was like two I mean, everybody thinks their kid is smart, right? But my, but he was always inquisitive. And if you have kids, you know that whew, the rate at which they can ask questions is uh, truly needs to be studied at Harvard. Because it's <laughs> like, how do you get this many questions off in five minutes? All right. And it's just why, 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 why? But when I was growing up, we weren't allowed to ask why to the two biggest entities in in you know young black people like my age and younger i mean older is the church and your parents yes Yes. and you can't ask you can't question god and you can't question your parents Mm -hmm. right and so at what point do i take a hold of this information like i'm not asking why as a as a mode of disrespect i'm asking why because i really want to know why like, what does making my bed every morning do? Okay, I'm just going to come home and get back in it, right? Yeah. Why do I have to take a bath? This is stupid. I'm just going to go play again. 
but then you get older and you realize it right and so as he's asking questions i was fighting myself like i was somewhere always in between like bro please no more questions to being proud that he could recognize things to even ask about them mm. right and so the first book bradley knows everything you know we were taking a walk and as he learned things he was so excited that he knew it that he just had to share so he's like oh duck oh truck and it may help you help me realize that with everything that you learn there's more to learn so there's literally a uh a depth of knowledge to every single thing and so you can never know everything but knowing everything and the last little stanza in the book is saying the more you learn the more you'll need to know mm. and so that book is us going on a walk and then whatever he talks about little so let's say he says duck it's like oh you see the duck the duck has uh, feathers the duck has web feet the duck has a beak and all of those things have a purpose right and so that's just my my inspiration comes from two things one um reading we've been reading to him since he was in the womb but um reading uh dr seuss dr seuss is excellent but you can only ruzzle fruzzle alamogoozle so many times <laughs> <laughs> for 40 pages at yes. you know 8 30 at night when you have a kid that you're just trying to just go to sleep man i don't care how you get there just please enough right <laughs> And my son is the type that he will be a hundred percent energy until he goes to sleep. There's no like in between. There's no wind down. It's just boop, boop. So those those long books were like, man, this is a lot. Also, you know, learning about Dr. Seuss, you learn that those odd characters like one fish, two fish is really about diversity. Right. But you wouldn't know unless you know. And. Mm -hmm. As, as at his age, it needed to be more clear, right? It needed to be more concise. And so I made it a point to have a book that he could read, that he was excited to read, but that the, the characters looked like us, right? Mm -hmm. um, yes. And so, which led to the second book. Uh, the second book was Bradley Visit the Zoo because a real story, you went to the zoo and you, you teach kids um that things look a certain way because it's easy. So whenever they see a picture of a monkey or a lion or whatever, or a cat, they all kind of look similar. But then you go to the zoo and you're like, that's, that's not how monkeys look. Like that's, how is that a monkey and this a monkey? And mm. how is that? Why does this have stripes and that have stripes and this has spots and that has spots, but they're not the same thing. Like, I don't understand. And he was genuinely confused. And then I realized that that's actually what we do to people in real life. Like we 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 teach people that people are homogenous because it's just easier to categorize that way. And so mm -hmm. you go out in the world and, you know, like me, I had no real experience with Hispanics. And then I went to Corpus Christi and mm -hmm. I seen people with blonde hair and blue eyes that spoke no English. And I'm like, what is this? Yes. And yes. Then, <laughs> even in my older years, I come to Houston and I just by nature say Korean when I'm speaking of people of Asian descent because mm. I come from a military town. Mm. And in my military town, that's what most of the, you know, soldiers went to Korea, brought back wives back then in, in the 90s and early 2000s. And they're like, well, you, my last name is Nguyen. Like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. I said, it's Vietnamese. I'm like, oh. Mm -hmm. So then I had to start, you know, yeah. questioning myself and, and learning myself. And that's the same. Bradley visits the zoo. It's about him going, seeing all these animals and noticing that they're, they are different. And so the last stanza in that is, um, but that's what makes the world special. Um, every, every, everybody's different, even me and you, but that's what makes the world special, just like the zoo. So like Ooh, imagine, imagine going good. to the zoo and seeing all the animals look the same that are the same. Like every lion looking the exact same. That's no one would go. And so that's what makes the world, that's, that's, that's what makes the world uh, the same place. And that's, that's what that, that's what that one is about. Um, and then the last one is just about the latest one is just about, uh, so his birthday is December 11th. So he thinks that December is like the month of Bradley, right? It's just <laughs> yeah. Amazon packages. Um, I've stopped fighting grandparents, you mm -hmm. know, like mom, he doesn't need a recliner. What are we doing? You know? <laughs> 
I need a recliner. That's what I said. I said, <laughs> I, I don't even have a recliner. Your mom just sent me one. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. You know, like, but I just, you know, whatever, man. And so he's the youngest by far. And he's, you know, my wife's side is girls. And then this, this one little boy just comes. And so they just buy him so much stuff to the point that it's like, all right, we can't fight the grandparents no more because we would say no and stuff would just show up. Mm -hmm. um, so what me and my wife started implementing is a one in, one out. So you can get a new toy, but something got to go. Right. And that was his way of sharing because he's the only kid. So sharing is not a thing for real. Right. Um, and so that that book is about both sharing and philanthropy and the um, the good feelings that you both provide to yourself and others when you're willing to share what you have. Mm -hmm. um, and so the greatest gifts are the ones that you give, not the ones you receive. And that's what Bradley greatest gifts come from. Um, again, the second portion of my. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much. You guys are asking me great questions, though. You're but, the guest. We want you to talk. Yeah, we love it. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the second part of my inspiration is if you go back and watch cartoons like we we grew up watching, like Sunday morning cartoons, Saturday morning. First of all, Saturday morning cartoons are wildly inappropriate. <laughs> it's like, how did they get away with this? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just because we become more sensitive as as as, as society. But if you go right back and watch the Disney movies, you realize that um, there's a lot of nuggets in there for parents. And because you got to you got to loop the parents in in order for them to stay awake and take want to take their kids to these movies. And so when I write, I kind of write to where the lessons uh, serve dual purposes to where like the first book, I'm, you know, uh, kind of covertly encouraging parents to allow their kids to ask those questions because it's not. As a parent, we don't ever want to not know the answer, but that's the perfect time to allow them to own the knowledge mm. or the perfect time for you to maybe even tap into something that they like that you didn't even know you liked because you have to research the answer now. And so now you have a common thread um, because parenthood is just a relationship, you know, mm. like these people just happen to be born to you. And it's not like something that you just and you're 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 ordained and you're just blessed with this opportunity to guide this other human. But it is a human. Right. And so they have questions and it's not an indictment on you as an authoritative figure if you don't know the answer. Yes. Um, oh, say it louder for the people in back. It's so and good. So, yeah. So good. And so, so good. That's that that's what that one was for. And the second one was all the second one, the, the zoo book is to encourage parents to make sure that we're not teaching within a box that, you know, that everybody you meet is their own person. And though they may look similar, have similar character or be, you know, graced with this uh, false uh, scientific, non-scientific uh, label of race, um that you don't know their ethnicity right and so their background or who they are isn't necessarily what they look like and there's different quote-unquote species and there's different looking people and there's different experiences within one uh, uh group of people that you may be exposed to right and then the last one is just that getting stuff is fine but if you're not ever willing to share at all then you will never truly enjoy what you have anyway. Um, because most of the things that we have, the reason why we love it so much is because we're able to sell, tell somebody, hey, look at this. And that's sharing. Even if it's just sharing your excitement, then sharing and being able to give back in, in a philanthropic way. Um, sometimes we get caught up in thinking that we have to provide something new or that we can't give back because we don't have much. But if you can give what you have, then that's plenty. Ah, oh, yes. So, I so think I sharing I too is important. Yeah. Go ahead, Mandy. Go ahead, Mandy. Well, I was gonna say, I think like when you when you just talked about sharing, it just reminded me of you know not just sharing from a philanthropic and volunteerism or sharing with each other, but also sharing of yourself. Because I think we're also in this state of people share what they think you want to see. But there's so much powerful and sharing the bad stuff and being vulnerable and being your most authentic and, and sharing 
who you really are because you never know if somebody's having a bad day and they may need to hear that to make themselves feel better or um, they may be having the same problems you're having with your kid or your wife or whatever. So I just, I love the talk of sharing, you know, and just building on that. That's a, that, thank you for inspiring my brains that way. That was Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. My follow-ups, first of all, Mandy, like I don't, it's kind of hard to explain to you, but to have an African-American male as your English teacher in high school is very rare. That's very rare. So props mm. to you, TJ, for that, because that is not common. And um, I just wanted to point that out for the people right. who are watching or listening, because that is not common. And then I wanted to also, well, do you have any comments on that? And then I have a follow-up question on a different I, it's, it's funny you say that, because I, I lean, I've leaned into it, because not only I'm a Black man, I'm a Black man named Tyrone. So you know, okay, you know I'm black before you ever see my face. Right? So think about that. That's funny. So, I knew it right away. That name is important. So I go by TJ, but my name, my author name is Tyrone Void Jr. And it's that for a reason. Because number one, when you see my name, you know the author's black. But also it's a legacy piece in that there's three generations on the, on every single book. Tyrone Void is obviously my father. Tyrone Void Jr. is myself. And then Bradley is my son. And so that's something that can't be removed. And so I kind of took that into my teaching as well, because my very first teaching job was in Cinco Ranch, which is in Katy, Texas. Ooh. And so Cinco Ranch is a is kind of a, an affluent part mm-hmm. of a suburb. So, mm-hmm. And so I walk in and I had entire classes with, with no black kids. Mm. And they would just look like. <laughs> I've never seen so, you before. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. how I broke the ice is on a Friday, the first Friday, because I worked in sneakers right before. And so I wore a pair of shoes, Air Jordan 11 Concours. I wore them that first Friday and it just humanized me. Right. And so every Friday I would wear a different pair of Jordans because I had so many shoes back then because I wasn't married, no kid, whatever. Um, <laughs> so sneakers were all part of the budget. Like they were on the, on my on my expense report. Yeah, on the p l line yeah, item. For sure, for sure. <laughs> so the, uh, and so that that made them speak to me. They're like, oh, man, you uh, da, da, da. And then now we had that relationship to where I can pretty much, you know, teach them however, whatever I needed to teach them. Fast forward to the next year, I went to a school that was on the other end of the spectrum. Right. And I thought I understood the black plight until I went there. And this school was probably about 3,400 kids. And this is no exaggeration. There may have been 15 white kids in that whole school. Right. And I was the same English, black English teacher. And I had a student say, Mr. Boyd, black people don't read. (laughs) And at that point, I could say, that's wrong, blah, 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 blah. But at 14, all you're spewing is what's been deposited. Like mm-hmm. at that age, even though these kids these days have the most information to weed through, it's still the same 14 year old brains that we had. And so they're just regurgitating. And so from then we, we kind of, uh, we stopped. Tell me what you think. And it go, and I'll make the story short. She goes, well, there's two types of black people. Okay. Tell me. There's again, this is all this is is communication. Communication is reading, communication is writing. So eventually I turned it into a writing assignment, but that's they didn't even know we were leading to that, but whatever. They um so she goes, There's ghetto black people. This is God, this is a true story. Mm-hmm. And then there's you. <laughs> and I said, Okay, so you're the ghetto black person. And she goes, no, 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 no. There's three. Okay, there's three. There's three. <laughs> and so what what it does, man, is is it just and one of the things when I show up to to reading um engagements, I show up as myself. I wear I still have nice sneakers, I wear jeans or I wear shorts, and I show my tattoos because I want you to experience me. And more importantly, I want kids to know. You don't have to sacrifice any part of who you are to be what you want to be. You can show up fully as yourself. And truthfully, there's power in presenting yourself in your fullness because then you don't have to think about nothing. 
That's you right. Just be who you are. Your and skin just, is real. Like you're in your own, freeing. comfortable in your own skin. It's, it's yeah. Freeing. And there's stories yeah. and there there's scars. And there's, I can tell you what all of my tattoos mean. And there's a kid who yesterday I went and spoke at a high school and the kid goes, man, I've been, I really wanted to meet you. And I only knew him for 30 minutes. Nice. And he just, he never had somebody show up. You know, because in education, they want you to cover your tattoos. Yes. They want you to be studious and tuck your shirt in and don't da 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 Man, them kids ain't listening to that because they, they one thing that kids have, specifically kids that are in, and this is black, white, Hispanic, Asian, what Middle Eastern. If you're in a situation where there's there's poverty, you have a level of intuition that is a survival tactic, mm-hmm. right? Spidey senses, yeah. If you yeah. can't, if you can't weed through your surroundings quickly, you will. It is. It could be dangerous. And so, when you fake, they don't like it. Like they literally hate it. And so, they don't even know why. They just. It's just because they're uncomfortable with the lack of authenticity. But if you're, if you're, the, if you show up the same way, if you say sorry when you're wrong. You know, if you're willing to have the relationship be symbiotic in nature that you can learn from them like like they can learn from you and you not take this stance that I'm the I'm the the, the be all know all and you should learn from me because I have the most experience that you can't punish these kids because you were born sooner. Like It's not that's yeah. not that's all it is like. Yes. Should they respect you? Sure. But as a black man, specifically a black man that's set in, you know, meetings with all women <laughs> all the teachers were, were, were women except for maybe one or two and education in and of itself is a white female dominated mm-hmm. industry um i had to be myself i couldn't i couldn't um cave to discomfort of perception at the detriment of my own comfort because i then i would show up and i wouldn't be able to deliver any sort of message to the kids because I would be so concerned about the perception of people who aren't even in my classroom mm-hmm. and how that helped with parents, believe it or not, because even parents were skeptical until they realized how much their kids enjoyed my class or yeah. their kids were comfortable with me. And they realized that it doesn't, all I'm doing is delivering information and trying to guide your kids in the right direction. And truthfully, I felt like me being a black teacher um gave me a superpower because we could have conversations that most people probably couldn't have and we did right yeah. so and I, you know, students I could, listened they i bet they listened more absolutely. because you were walk, being authentic yeah. yeah i could walk in and say listen man do i care about romeo and juliet no do you care <laughs> about romeo and juliet no but we got to do it so let's just do it and let's just make it fun so we you know we had certain people be characters da 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 and now they're, you know, they're into it now. And they just, some of those conversations like, all right, we need to reel this in. <laughs> you can't say this in the classroom. But the thing is, do you, do you want them to talk? If you, if you, if you want them to talk, sometimes they're going to say things that you probably shouldn't say. Then you can tell them, hey, you can't say that, but thank you for, you know, being engaged. Um, but I'm just all about creativity, man. I'm about letting, creating a boundary and then you can color however you want within the boundary. Um, I have a coloring book and at the, at the beginning of the coloring book, um, it tells the kids, it's a little poem that says, there's only one rule. There are no rules. Ah, yes. I love that. Let's That's do a whatever good you want. If you feel like the sky should be pink today, color it pink. Mm-hmm. It, we know the sky isn't pink. They'll eventually learn the sky, sky isn't pink, but I don't understand the rush to impart realism on a creative brain. Yeah. Right. Just let we can reel it in later. Like even this, my son drew this. Oh, cool! He fancies himself an artist, right? And so I said, and I'll send y'all the picture of his actual drawing. And I said, son, I want you to draw me a picture of somebody sharing. And he drew this. And I said, okay, well, we're gonna take everything he wants to do and try to dig into it as much as we can. So the back says, the greatest gifts are the ones you receive. And you know, two weeks before that, he wanted to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> I want to. I want to be a Tyrannosaurus. Me too. I said I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to figure it out. But what that led to was now he studies dinosaurs, where he can tell you like fourteen different dinosaurs and what they do and whether they're herbivores or carnivores. And had I told him, son, you can't be no dinosaur, he would have never thought to even continue learning about dinosaurs. Mm. And that's that's the risk we run as adults 
to not let and i feel like as 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 adults we need to tap into that creative childlike brain at times in order to push ourselves forward because the world is heavy enough right we, yes levity levity yeah. is everything yeah one more question for you before we get you to flip the script yes sir. you mentioned being an empath as mm-hmm. an empath how are you able to still be a successful leader establish strong boundaries stick to your boundaries and have uh and not let people take advantage of your genuine nature as which happens to many empaths in this world oh man I used to be a lot better at it than I am now, if I'm being 100% honest. Um, So if it's a work in progress, I think one of my weaknesses is I overthink. And being someone who feels deeply and overthinks, that's typically one and the same, but it can be very paralyzing. And so you're like, all right, is this boundary necessary or was I too harsh or was I, you know, this? And that's happened in my older age and that's happened as I became a husband and as I became a father. Um, and so I think now it's just me kind of reestablishing boundaries and not being concerned and allowing others to deal with their own emotions. Like if my boundary hurts your feelings, that's not really my issue you know what right. i'm saying that's because right. it's not, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> not your problem that's, that's right that's for that's yeah. for you to deal with and for you to discuss you know why it hurts your feelings and um how i tell you i tell you how it what, where it kind of shows itself the most and that's when i'm in my fatherhood because and i learned this as a coach it's like i can hear your side i can see your tears the answer is still no i don't <laughs> i mean Thanks for sharing, but, but and I appreciate you being able to, you know, emote in this way, but the answer is no. I, that's it. The 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 line is the line. I think is the way, the best way that the, how I've been successful in the past and not sticking to that line is how I've been unsuccessful in the past, if I'm being completely honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but being taken advantage of is is uh I get this from my mother. Sometimes it's like I'll give people the benefit of the doubt, like you said, not listen to those uh, those first colors until I just can't anymore. And then that's when, like, the real me who I wanted to be from the beginning kind of comes yes. out. And it's like, yes. all right, look, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And so yes. what I'm working on, man, I'm glad you asked that question, is having that boundary from the beginning so we can all just be pleasant because you know what to mm-hmm. expect at this point. Yeah. <laughs> For this portion of the show. We'll, we flip the script. So you can ask me a question and you can ask Mandy a question. And then after we answer those, we'll close up the show and keep, continue about our day. Good, good. So I, one thing I want to ask, um, first of all, thank you all for letting me blab the way I have been. But Oh, we um, love it. We love your blabbing. <laughs> the it, author, being an author, what was what made you decide, okay, I'm going to take this and put this in a book? Mandy, you want to go first? Sure. I mean, I've been writing, like when you said you've had journals since you were a little kid, I've had journals since I was a little kid. I have been writing since I could write, uh, whether it was an observation about something or whether it was a fictitious character I made up about that observation. And so I knew, like in my in my bones, I knew I was going to write a book someday. I knew it. Um, I just, there was no question about it. I didn't know when that was. But the the moment, the defining moment was I was I was working out. I was in the spin class. The teacher was screaming at me, not me, all of us, like push yourself, blah blah blah. And it was towards the end of class, and I started crying. And sometimes that does happen in spin because you're just like at the at's at the end. You're just emo. I just started crying, and then I heard this voice, and it was like, write the book, write the book. Now, the teacher wasn't saying that. That was like my inner voice telling me what I've always known. And sometimes in those classes, you're like, yeah, whatever, you're just feeling it, and you leave, your endorphins are released. Well, that write the book voice over the next several weeks started and louder to the point where I felt like it was choking me, like it was suffocating me, that I didn't have a choice. Like It was like, Mandy, you don't have time for this, but restructure your whole life and redo everything that you're doing just so you can write the book. And that's what I did for two years. And it was very difficult. And I'm really glad I did it. And I will write books now for the rest of my life. But it was something I always knew I was going to do. And when my 
when my calling came, I listened and I took action on it. Now it took a little bit of time because, you know, we're living normal life and we all have jobs and spouses and dogs or kids or whatever that is. But I, I, I ended up doing it because I just listened to myself. So hmm. that's where mine came from. That's all. I would say for me, um, as a DJ, full-time DJ, just wanting to first establish myself as a thought leader in the space more than just a DJ, but show people that we are very complex humans. We don't have to like, quadruple task all at one time, reading the room, planning a song, marketing, like all this we're doing at one time as a set. And I just wanted to share my story in the form of a book and around a DJ set that shows kind of how I came to be and what inspired me. And so that's what I did. As Mandy said, it took a, a long time. And the hardest part for me was the editing because you you turn the book in, you think, okay, this is great. They won't make any corrections ever. And the, she tore it apart, but it was brilliant editing. So just really learning how to maybe take a step back from your ego and allow someone to help you and do that. Um, that's kind of why I wrote the book in my quick synopsis of, of my process there. So uh, my, I think my, uh, my last question is both of you are kind of, uh, Monty, you talked about being a thought leader in the space and Mandy, you're obviously a leader coach. Um, what made you guys lean into your leadership one? And then my second question would be, what would you consider your leadership philosophy? Ooh, Amani, you go first. first. What made me kind of uh, lean in was probably a dearth, a lack of just really leaders who came from the same background as me, who looked like me, and really were had the ability to relate to people on all levels, whether it be entry level, mid level management, you know, or the quote unquote leaders in terms of the C suite people, individuals. Um, and then the second part was just, what's my philosophy? I like like a teamwork philosophy. I believe in like teamwork. Like I have a saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So that's kind of my philosophy. I try to follow that as much as possible in life and in business. And I just think that, um, like they say, when you walk through the door, you have to pull some people with you so more people can come through the door, create more opportunities. And that's kind of how I have my philosophy for leadership as well as what I'm teaching in the classroom and the university level too. I agree. Amani, you live by that. Like bring more people <laughs> with you through the door. I think that's your business philosophy too. I mean, I know I've been a blessed recipient of the, you know, yes. linking arms and walking through the door with Amani too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. I think, I think um, my coaching journey started accidentally. I mean, I, I come from a long line of coaches. My dad was a soccer coach of, of everybody except for me, all the boys my age, which was awesome because I was super boy crazy. And all the, and, and my mom was always a cheerleading coach. So like, I think coaching sort of how I'm wired. And then I was a coach also when I was in high school, I coached grade school, um, cheerleading and gymnastics. And then when I was in college, I coached high school cheerleading. And so I, I coaching is just a part of me, but I accidentally started my sales coaching business uh, 17 years ago because a client asked me, she's like, hey, my business partner and I want to expand our business. We need help with sales. We need help with renegotiating some vendor contracts. Could you help? And I was like, sure. They were like, how much do you want to charge? I'm like, how much do you want to pay? So it was just this accidental coaching business that started. And then the more I coached, the re more I realized like, gosh, I'm really good at this. And I love this. And I'm helping, I'm actually helping people. I'm helping people increase sales, establish new business lines, uh, be more efficient with their business. So that uh, to me, I, you know, it's a little selfish because I got a lot out of it. But then um, I also still, I'm people that I've coached over the last 17 years, I'm still in touch with that. Like they're still my friends. So it's been a great friendship line too. But I think that also goes with my, the leadership style is when I was first a leader, I think the first time I was a boss, I was 28 years old. Like you should never let a 28 year old be a boss. <laughs> I was the worst leader. I used to lead by fear uh, because I was a lot. I was fearful of losing my job or not being a good boss. And so my leadership journey really developed over time. And I have a client now who actually used to work for me 20 years ago. And, you know, before we worked together, I had to, t I told, not had to, I wanted to tell her like, Hey, I'm really sorry. Like I wasn't at my best when I was 32 years old. And uh, I hope you can forgive me for whatever I'm sure I did. And I'm different now. And obviously she could tell I was different now, but I was a bad leader. And then I became 
a great leader, but in general, like my coach business and leadership life philosophy is just amplify everybody's genius. There is genius within all. And sometimes it's so obvious to everybody else, but we don't know it ourselves. So with my coaching and with my leadership, it's always like, I'm looking for the good in you. I'm looking for the good in your team. And I want to help you amplify that, share that with the world and make sure everybody knows your clever creativity and that you are coming off amplifying yourself in a really unique way. So you're completely undeniable and completely unforgettable. I like that. Okay. So while they bang around me here, the final question question we have for you, TJ, is Uh if you could go back to a time in your life, let's say maybe right as you are finishing your degree at like McMurray University, where you went to school, and give that TJ advice based on what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? I would say um you're not doing it right you're not doing it wrong but just keep doing it whatever you're doing just keep Mm -hmm. doing it because what i've learned is even in my own life is most people don't fail they just quit and so we just have to i'm learning that uh you set the goal but truthfully the power is the process um because every goal that you reach there's another goal to set and so the work the work in between is perpetual in nature and so you might as well just latch in because it's not going to ever stop there's no there um the only there is whenever you know that two percent more that you can share with someone else and just have that 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 chain of knowledge that you can both give to and learn from so if i had to tell my young self um, it will be just pick what you're going to do and allow the work to uh, make your path for you. Ah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> well done. I think that's a mic drop moment. We'll put contact information for TJ in the chat as well as you see it scrolling across the screen. Um, just thank you so much for <laughs> just amazing interview, just sharing your philosophy. I love the conversation we had about writing. Like I was geeking out, taking notes, just mm. basketball, talking about being an empath. Like I really, really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you. We'll definitely have to have you come back for round two. Yes. Uh, this was fun. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And thank we you. are too, like we're in, uh, TJ, we should tell you this in July, we are doing a show adventures in business juniors where we interview kids. I mean, any, any kid uh, probably under the age of like 21 or so, but like anybody that you cross paths with that you think is a young entrepreneur or a young business person, even if they haven't invented anything, but if they think like that Mm -hmm. um, and they're comfortable being interviewed, we're going to have a whole panel of junior entrepreneurs in July. So um, shoot us an email and we'd love to hear I feel like you have access to a whole bunch of uh, super young, awesome entrepreneurs. We'd love to talk with them. Yeah, that would, that's going to be awesome. That's yeah. Gonna be awesome. yeah. Right, so round of applause for you. Thank you very much. We'll do that. Thank you for tuning in to Adventures in Business. Don't forget to rate and review our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening it on. And don't forget to share it with your friends and anybody that might be as much of the business nerds as Amani and I are. See you next time for another captivating interview.